Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done. Perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20. Hey, y'all. Before we get into today's conversation, I have a small favor to ask. CityCast is surveying our listeners to help make CityCast DC a better and more useful podcast for you, the listener. It's super easy. All you got to do is head to citycast.fm slash survey. The whole thing is multiple choice and only five minutes long. I promise. We literally timed it. Full disclosure, we need 100 people to take it. So please be one of them. Again, that's citycast.fm slash survey. And when you take it, you'll also be eligible to win a $250 Visa gift card. So that's pretty cool. CityCast.fm slash survey. Thank you. Today on CityCast DC, Moon Rabbit, the award-winning restaurant that was at the base of the Wharf's Intercontinental Hotel, closed down abruptly two weeks ago. The Washington Post reports that the shocking closure might have been the hotel's attempt to union-bust the staff's labor-organizing efforts. In the fallout, Chef Kevin Tian legally got ownership of the name Moon Rabbit and his recipes— I'm so excited to catch up with him while he searches for a new D.C. location. So you might hear some kitchen noises in the background. Today is Monday, June 5th. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what D.C. is talking about. Kevin, thanks so much for being here. So I know that in D.C. specifically, we've seen a lot of this overlap of things like unionization and the restaurant space. Do you think that this is shaping the restaurant industry in D.C. as a whole? I think the restaurant industry and the way like how the industry works needs like a huge overhaul to begin with. I'm not a fan of like the tip system. I think that's like on a history of like racism and that kind of like needs to get demolished but a lot of this stuff can't help it can't happen overnight i think a lot of restaurants are kind of like navigating how like the work culture is and especially like the pay structure and like i don't think anyone has like the best way but i think everyone's doing the best they can without much help from unfortunately the local government helping figure things out they're like really leaving it in like the small business owners hands to like figure out what the best way forward is you know and some places do really great. Uh, some places are still figuring out, so there's going to always be a little bit of struggle. But I think at the end of the day, like working in the hospitality industry is extremely hard, and there's no reason why anybody working in the hospitality industry should be paid like what we call these like blue collar wages, right? Compared to like white collar work. I mean, like if anything, I think it's like way more demanding. Deal with so many personalities and vendors and people. And a lot of the skill sets that you use in like your white collar jobs, you can, use them, you can use them in restaurants. So, I mean, everyone should be able to make like a good living to support themselves and their family. Oh my gosh. I, as a former server, I can tell you that anybody who thinks that people who work in restaurants don't deserve a comfortable wage has never worked a lunch rush in their life. They've, you know, I, if I had to go back and do that today, I, I would be sobbing in the back. So, yeah, it's, it is. 
will never cease to be interesting to me who society has decided like doesn't deserve a comfortable wage, which is definitely not commiserate to like how hard they are working because nobody busts their ass like folks in the hospitality industry. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, and I think everyone's kind of like moving in the right direction. There's definitely been a lot of articles and conversation about like service charges or no service charges and tipping and not tipping. But I think at the end of the day, like the general public just has to realize when you go out and eat, it needs to cost a lot more than it does now. You know, I think the public just assumes like every business owners like sitting on like a giant stack of money because they open a restaurant and they're rich or whatever. But I mean, that's not like the case. The margins are very small in restaurants, especially like very small, like independently owned restaurants. Like everything needs to be more equitable between the front and the back house as well. You need to look at like the restaurant and the staff as a whole. And how do you raise everybody up? Not just like one particular group in the restaurant, because that's still unfair to everybody. Yeah. Do you think there's something about the restaurant industry where From the customer perspective, perhaps the customer wants to feel like the owner is rich. Everybody's being treated comfortably and well. That like there's a kind of fantasy that needs to exist to have a a customer kind of have a certain kind of experience. There seems to be this sort of fantasy versus reality of what it actually looks like to own or work in a restaurant. Some of the time there's there's like a really huge disconnect, right? I've worked on both sides, right? I've worked in nine to five. I've worked like Greenbelt projects. I've worked like data analytics projects. I've done the presentations and I've also worked in restaurants and I'll say nothing is harder than working in a restaurant. Absolutely. Absolutely nothing. I think you can get frustrated in both types of jobs, but like there's nothing harder than working in a restaurant. I mean, there is other jobs that are way harder than working in a restaurant, but like if you want to compare the two, then you know, restaurants are pretty tough. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. You are now the official owner of Moon Rabbit. Can you tell us a bit about what might be next for the restaurant and how you're envisioning things? Currently in the moment, we're just taking time to find a new space for Moon Rabbit. I've been visiting a couple of restaurant sites, which all have like its own like uh, pros and cons. But in finding a new home, we just want to find a space that is not just perfect for like me and the team, but kind of like, great for the community. Moon Rabbit became a space like that's more than just dining. Especially in the past year, we came a space for our community to gather, specifically the API community. So I want to continue finding a home that kind of like, meets those needs. That sounds awesome. Are there parts of town or parts of the city that you would like that to be or that you that feel right for you? I would say there's like no particular part of town, but accessibility is like a big thing for me, right? I think for like good food, everyone's like willing to travel, but I definitely want to be somewhere central. As you approach this search, you know, 
are there things you're looking for in terms of the the space itself? Like the old Moon Rabbit was in a hotel. Plenty of restaurant spaces are in residential buildings at the bottom of them. Are there pros and cons to sort of having it be a standalone storefront versus a storefront that's in a mixed-use building? For me, not particularly. I'm very open and I want to be as open as I can right now when exploring the different opportunities. So I'm really just kind of seeing what's out there. But I love like the neighborhood vibe. You know, Hamitsu was very neighborhood. Emily's uh, before COVID was like a very neighborhood vibe. And I would love to go back to that. So I know that one of the other projects that you kind of have cooking, no pun intended, but appreciated, is a nonprofit that you're looking to open in Anacostia. Yeah, uh, I haven't fully signed the lease on it yet, but I am in like talks of having a space open in right across the river from like Nats Park. It's called the Bridge District. I really like that space and that location. I think it's a shame that like Ward 8 and Ward 7 actually doesn't have access to like many grocery stores and like more food. I think everyone deserves access to like really great food. So for me, I'm kind of like fleshing out a business model to where like a lot of the stuff that we would prepare during the day, whether it's like stocks and sauces and like butchery, uh, we'd be able to provide that in like a grocery format as well. But also we'd use the same products to create like a restaurant for like lunch and dinner, right? And a very like affordable like price for everybody. And that way you can eat local, you can eat healthy, and we're there for everyone. Where did the inspiration for this idea come from? Like what inspired you to want to create something that's so accessible in Anacostia? I think over the years, I've been like focusing a lot of like my culinary career about like through community work and activism and different nonprofits. And I just wanted to continue that as far as like the neighborhood goes. There's literally a grocery store everywhere except for there. So that was kind of like the big reason for me to go there. I'm not the person that would like open, ever open a restaurant like downtown. That's just like not me. Like I was saying earlier, very like neighborhood and community oriented. That's just kind of like the vibe. I don't like being stuffy. Yeah, we've done interviews about the specific experience of going downtown just to go to a restaurant and then going back home and how oftentimes in that experience, there aren't many people who live downtown because it's not really that livable. And it's a different experience when you're going to your neighborhood spot. You're walking over to this place that you go to all the time where you it feels like it's of the community. Is that really the kind of... Is that kind of what you're going for when you think about restaurant spaces? Yeah, I think for me, like, I think there's a lot of restaurants where people would go to, like, once every couple months or, like, once a year for a special occasion. Like, I want our restaurant. Yeah, you can come to our restaurant for a special occasion, but I'd love to see you every week, right? Like, hey, I'm working on this new dish. Come in. Come try it out. Let me know what you think. Like, I love, like, talking to all our guests when they come in. And I think that's just, like, more of my, my style. I just like connecting with people. I think, like, the connection with food and people is like so important and like food is such like a great connector to like others. And I want to continue kind of doing that. Something that I find so interesting about your background is that you didn't necessarily have formal training. You didn't go to culinary school and you, you were in DC working in like a pretty quote, typical DC job before getting into the restaurant space. Is that right? Yeah, correct. You know, I didn't go to culinary school. I have like a finance degree uh, and then I also have like a master's in statistics. Went to pay for school. I always worked in restaurants. And then I moved to DC to do the, like the nine to five. But I also worked in restaurants at the same time, like on the weekends, because I couldn't get away from it. That's something about the restaurant industry that I really love. 
And then one day I just decided to make like the full-time jump to restaurants. You know, I did it when I was a lot younger. And I said, if I'm going to do it, I should do it while I'm in like my mid-20s. And if it doesn't work out, I can always go back and like do the nine to five. But it was something I had to do. What did your family think of that jump? Oh, they were, everyone was probably scratching their head and wondering why I would give up. Like, <laughs> you know, I had a great job. It was like, I was making six digits, had a company car, had like the 401k, kind of like the, everything you'd want in a nine to five. But it wasn't something I was like necessarily like passionate about. I can only go to the office and look at a computer screen so much before I kind of like went stir crazy. But you know, I just like, I like love food. Food has been such a big part of my life, like growing up, right? Like uh, it's always in the kitchen with family members, like doing like Sunday suppers. It's always a way to gather like your friends together and like share experiences. And I just wanted to continue like being around that kind of atmosphere. What is the food scene in D.C. like specifically? You know, coming from California and then opening a restaurant in D.C., are there things that are particular to the D.C.'s food scene that make it a place where you want to be? You know, I moved to D.C. back in 2013, and I think the food scene was very different back then. There were a couple chefs that kind of, like, <clears throat> really controlled the food scene. You know, Jose Andres, Michelle Richard, Richard Sandoval. And I think ever since 2013, the food scene has gotten, like, very diverse. I think, you know, everyone had their, like, their neighborhoods where you go for, like, Ethiopian food, you can always go to Paul Church or Vietnamese food. But I think you're seeing like a new generation of chefs, especially in the past like five years, they're cooking food that's very representative of like them and their like story. From Chef Angel at Anjou to you see Chef Paula Velez doing amazing stuff with her baking and pastries to, you know, uh, Michael Rafiti at Albi. I think it's like really great to see everything like actually change. Because for me, I think that food scene is more reflective of what like the food scene in America is then I guess whatever you uh, see on House of Cards that everyone's eating. They're probably just eating like steak and potatoes on House of Cards. Yeah, Frank's <laughs> barbecue spot. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what other exciting things do you have coming down the timeline for you? Right now, uh, I'm going into two food halls. Uh, one is in The Heights in Chevy Chase with a concept called Doki Doki Sushi. And then I'm opening up like a an Asian-American barbecue spot at the Bryant Street Food Hall off of Rhode Island Metro called Doki Doki Barbecue. And I'm doing that in partnership with my friend Judy Beltrano. Uh, we met at Momofuku like years ago, like maybe eight years ago, and we've always worked together. And, you know, I couldn't imagine like working with anybody else. So we're very excited to go into these food halls together and see where, where it takes us. Kevin, is there anything that I did not ask you that you want to make sure gets included in this conversation? I think I saw someone out there started like a GoFundMe for our Moon Rabbit staff. I think maybe if you guys could share the link, I encourage people to continue to support uh, the staff through the GoFundMe. And then just to keep a lookout on what we're we're all going to do next. Thanks so much for being here, Kevin. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And before you go, here's some quick news. The National Park Service has just approved a plan to rebuild the walkway around the tidal basin five feet higher because of rising sea levels. Already, portions of the walkway frequently flood twice a day at high tide, causing erosion and harming our beloved cherry trees. NPS also plans to build seawalls in a way that they can be raised up even more if needed. Meanwhile, a group of 100 D.C. fire and EMS employees are suing the city for $100 million, saying it illegally deprived them of earned retirement benefits. They allege that after decades of service, they received almost no retirement benefits. 
and that the money was illegally used to purchase equipment instead. And lastly, elementary school teachers in Alexandria might be asked to work at multiple schools next year because of staffing shortages. Specifically, Encore teachers of subjects like gym, music, and art are being asked to fill in at higher enrollment schools with more demand. Teachers opposed the change at a school board meeting last week, saying it's the worst thing that we can do for staff retention. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoy the show, why not tell your friend who loves Moon Rabbit? Tomorrow's episode is an exciting one, the first in our summer entertainment guide, which you'll all be hearing about a lot in the coming weeks. We're also doing it in our sister newsletter, Hey DC, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out. Talk to you soon.